I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women and I am a woman. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. And I'm delighted to say that this week our guest is Jason Isaacs. Jason, we have to say hello. Welcome back to the podcast because you are now a, a recurring guest. I was one of the last guests before uh, the thing. Before all this thing happened, yeah. Affect the world. So, look, um, well, first things first, how are you? You're looking well because I'm looking at you on Zoom. You're wearing a very, well, a very fetching blue top. You're also wearing glasses, which you're now going to take off. I've never seen you I'm- wear glasses before. Uh, I wore glasses. I woke up on my fiftieth birthday and went, "Wow, someone's flipped the focus." And I and I realised actually not just that I couldn't see anything within six foot of myself, but I hadn't been able to see anything for quite a few years. And I'd always thought it's because I needed a, some caffeine or to rub my eyes or something. But actually, I'd just been so stupid. It took me years to notice that I, I can't see a thing. It's actually affected me quite badly because there are scenes in, as an actor occasionally when you have to read things. Um, <laughs> And uh, I mean, in the scene, not just beforehand. Yeah. Uh, and I, I struggle because I don't want to wear glasses on camera because close up, I look, they look like bottle tops. Uh, so I had to memorize those things, which is very irritating. Plus, on set, we have these things, actors called sides, which is basically that day's lines they right. hand to you. Uh, it's quite controversial because some actors are, are find it to be the height of amateurism. If you don't know all your lines before you get to the set. Yeah. And then there are other people in different school like me who deliberately don't learn their lines so that they feel fresh and so that you take them in almost as you're saying them. But for that, I now need pieces of paper with gigantic font, almost one letter on each piece of paper as I flip them <laughs> like idiot boards. So, so, you, so you obviously you read the script in advance, but you don't learn the script, and then you learn the lines on the day. Yeah, I don't learn them. I mean, I, <clears throat> I have that facility, I guess, trained over years. I mean, it's a, it's a technique... Uh, if it is such a thing, that uh, has evolved from watching much better actors than myself do it and uh, and also from watching much worse actors get locked into some kind of delivery as if it's a musical score. Uh, and what you say, what you think, what you do in a scene is entirely down to what you and the other people um, find spontaneously on the day and it changes every time. And if you get too into the groove, if you kind of embed into yourself the words too much, I've found... Um, you end up saying them without meaning them or finding them. So I, I don't know them. I'm, all, I'm often, often found until the last second, until the camera's roll, with the piece of paper in my hand. And are you then able to just to read them and then know them? I mean, you can, you can learn them in an instant. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or if I can't remember it in the moment, it's because I haven't, not because I haven't learned them, because I haven't made the link. You know, as, as you know, everything, as everybody knows, whatever we say is not 
Uh, it's not a perfect link from brain to mouth. There's everything we've ever done, everything we've ever felt, everything we've wanted, all the things we're not saying, all the things we're hoping the other person will say. There's that entire iceberg. The things that we say are a minute part of our interaction with people. And if you don't build that inner world, you can't find it, you're not creating it, it's not shifting in line with what the story is, the words won't come out right. So uh, I, yeah, I'm learning them in the moments, but if they don't come out, it's not because I haven't learned them. It's because they're not sitting on a real world. And, and it's that stuff that needs addressing. Okay, so look, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll leap to this earlier than I was going to. Let's talk about Mass, which is the, the most recent film that I've seen you in. It hasn't opened here in the UK yet. Do we have a UK date? Do you know? We don't have a date. We have distributors uh, okay. all over the okay. world, but yeah. But it, it had a brilliant festival opening, and I, I'm, I'm not just saying this. I think not only is it probably the best thing you've done, but I think it's an absolutely devastating piece of cinema, but also... So glad you uh, you know, But it was funny because you kind of sent me a message beforehand saying, I think you're, you're going to like this. And you know that you know over the years you've made some films that I've liked and some films which I haven't. Absolute turkeys. And also some, some films which you yeah. haven't liked either. But um, I thought Mass was just <laughs> astonishing, and I can't quite imagine imagine you just because it's a talky piece I and mean, it's you know it's yeah yeah no it's four it's people in a room so it, big speeches that, yeah is it well look because people haven't seen it just give us the setup of what mass is about for the listeners okay, so it's it's a film about uh how do we heal how do we get over hate how do we get over division how do you free yourself of the baggage of um you know hatred revenge pain grief and how do you move forward and the conduit for that is a, a meeting between four people, two sets of parents, one of whom lost their child in a school shooting seven years ago, and they've just not been able to get over it. Uh, uh, they can't move through it. Not that one should ever forget that, but they can't uh, heal. And they are having a meeting with the parents of the kid who shot their child. Mm. Uh, these meetings really do take place, and, and it was inspired, the writer-director, not just by school shootings and his thought of how would I ever move beyond that if that happened to me but also by the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission and those meetings where people uh, in the most extraordinary way moved beyond or managed to move forward into life without being destroyed by uh, the things that had happened to them um, so it's it, you know there's no way to dress it up it is essentially four people in a room and I was nervous taking the job didn't know if it could work it, I knew it was incredibly moving reading it I also knew and this was a worrying thing that it was incredibly power, a very powerful experience making it. Uh, it felt uh, not just intense and emotional, which it obviously is, but it it felt like something. You know, it felt like we'd been through a huge experience, and I was scared that none of that would come onto the screen. Right. I, was just, I, I just thought, well, that would have been an entirely indulgent exercise for a bunch of actors and a, a writer, and uh, and and who knows whether anybody could watch four people sitting at a table. And so it was so. Um, I don't know what the word is, inspiring. I was so grateful, I was so relieved, I suppose, that it had this extraordinary response, uh, say, at Sundance. Sundance was digital, so which meant yeah. that people all over the world could watch it in much larger numbers than would watch it at Sundance. And it got these stellar reviews from everyone. And, and I was nervous with you because, you know, I know that you'd always be honest with me. And, uh, but it, it's pretty universally uh, been acclaimed. And, and the fear, the worry, I think, for the companies who bought it for distribution as well, is that people will think that it's a film about a mass shooting, uh, mm -hmm. you know, or about pain and grief and loss. And although those are the springboards, for me, it's a very, very positive film at this time when God knows the world is completely divided and likely to get even more divided. How do we see each other as human beings? So that's yeah. a very long answer. That, that's what it's about. How do we see each other as human beings, I think? 
And um, I mean, I, I, I loved it. I was really moved by it. I was drawn straight in. Um, I think at no point did I sit there thinking, why am I just watching four people in a room? Yeah, yeah. Because I thought, you know, all the all the dramatics and the special effects came from the, the dialogue and the performances. And actually, one thing that's interesting, although it is a very talky film, it is also a film in which a lot of what is said is to do with what isn't said. Because for a long time, yeah. you're not quite sure where you are with anything. And I sure. I love the way that it... What the it, hidden agendas are, what they Yeah. I mean... Sorry, I, I cut you off and I've been talking. No, 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 that's fine. But I, I can talk about this film forever. I think it's incredibly special. Um, and I think even the process of how we made it, not not because not to, because it's about pulling the curtains back and aren't we marvelous as actors, but it reveals a lot about what it is to be human. Uh, you know, people think, um, even my friends and relatives, close friends, think that acting is about learning lines and saying the things on the page. But as you rightly say, all interestingly human interactions, whether they're fictional narrative or just stuff that goes on with us in the supermarket are always about what's not being said what's you know who someone really is their entirety of them it, it seemed i mean i remember doing a pinter play when sir, sir harold was alive and talking with him about it uh, and other actors who've done pinter and doug hodge that wonderful actor said to me who'd done lots of pinter he went the thing you got to remember with harold's work is people just never quite managed to say what they wish they could say they never get it right uh, and uh he was right about Pinter, but actually, he's right about life. The reason I'm still blabbering on is not just because I've just woken up and like the sound of my own voice, but <laughs> I haven't quite managed to express perfectly what's in my head. And that's what always happens with human beings. They never quite manage to say the thing that they need to say. What was the experience of, of filming it like? I mean, you said that it was very intense, and I imagine... It, it, was it, is it a set or is it a location? It looked to me like you were in the room in the church. Yeah, yeah, we're in a real basement in a real church somewhere. The, the vicar very kindly lent it to us. She was, uh, she was a huge evangelist, having read the script. thought it was a very powerful message. Uh, there's nothing religious about the film, I hasten to add. Um, it was amazing. I, mean, I didn't know these three people before I started. The other three actors, I felt like I, I often had to pinch myself. I felt like I was watching. So the other three are masterclass. The other three are uh, my wife is played by Martha Plimpton, uh, who uh, was just extraordinary. Everyone was extraordinary. Anne Dowd, the great Anne Dowd. If she was English, she'd be a dame already. Uh, <laughs> Anne Dowd uh, and Reed Burney, opposite me. I'd very recently, just before lockdown, seen Reed Burney uh, blow away the whole of Broadway in The Humans. Uh, in the lead in the humans and Dowd. Uh, if you don't know who she is, look her up briefly and come back to this podcast. She's been in everything always. Um, <laughs> but there were some times I'd be watching Anne Dowd in a scene and she, you know, she'd do a take and we had to break it down into chunks. We could have shot the whole thing in one, but, you know, you know, but so they were long, long takes. I'd watch her. First of all, I'd forget to act. I'd be I'd kind of slack-jawed watching her. And then he'd go cut, Fran go cut, and she'd go, I'm sorry, that was just bullshit. Can, can we do that again? That was rubbish. And I'd think... That's the greatest acting I've ever seen. And then she'd do it again completely differently. I mean, still the same person in that situation, dealing with what she's dealing with, but an entirely different read on it. And I'd think, not only is that genius and is she completely a character, and I don't see any acting, but I wouldn't want to be in the editing room because I would have no idea what to do with what she just gave me because they're so, they spring from the same brook, as it were, but they are they are so utterly different. Yeah, it was it was... The process was uh, one where we sat up all night every night. It's a very low-budget film, and uh, we were all in a hotel, and we sat up all night every night trying to work out what we're going to do the next day, You know what the scenes were about, not what the lines were, although that too, because there were 10 or 20 pages to learn every day. 
I'm sure I frustrated my fellow actors by not being off book. Some of them have a long theatrical history and just wanted to learn the lines. I wanted to mine what the beats were, what the silences were. When, 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 when something, particularly for Martha and I, I mean, I think it's a film about so many things. I don't know, I don't want to pry too much into you and Linda, but it's certainly a film about my marriage. You know, that we, we enter the room, Martha and I, um, with a certain agenda, supposedly. We've been to a therapist together. We've requested this meeting. Uh, and we go off piece. I mean, we go off track. There are things we think we want to ask them and ways we want to deal with them, and it, that goes wrong. I think I'm in some way stable and I can just manage her expectation, how she behaves. Of course, I lose it completely. And so we need to establish what were the rules that we brought for ourselves? What were the triggers? What were the arguments we'd had over the years? What were the hot button moments that we shouldn't be touching on? What, you know, phrases we shouldn't use? But Martha and I would argue about that through the night. So we couldn't, we couldn't agree on what we'd agreed. Uh, and then, and we, but then that would play out in the scene because I'd go, you know, we, this is, you know, I'd look at her like, this is a moment. She'd look at me like, what? This isn't a moment. And I'd, I'd look at her like, come on, you knew you weren't meant to say this. And the, all the arguments that Martha and Jason had were really, and we knew it without saying it, were really the arguments that the characters would be having. I don't know if that's happened, but happens to me all the time with them. I go, you said this, you promised this. She goes, no, I didn't. Or vice versa. She goes, you said you were never going to do that again. And I go, I've never said that. So all of that richness of uh, deception and promises and lies and denial were really what we talked about in rehearsal, not the lines, although we had to learn lines as well. It's interesting because I've thought about the film a lot since I've seen it. And quite apart from the kind of, the, you know, the emotional involvement while you're watching it, I've thought about it a lot afterwards about whether or not, how it would be read, as whether it would be read as personal or political. And I think the thing that's really interesting about it is, you know, I know where I stand on some of the issues that the, that the film sure. raises. I think I know vaguely where you stand on some of them. You but do. I think, you don't, I think, to, don't need to worry okay. about it. You do. But I think it would be possible for pretty much anybody to go into it with whatever their, you know, whatever their preformed uh, versions of the political arguments are and be drawn into it because it never felt, and I mean this as a compliment, it never felt didactic. Although I came out sure. of it feeling profoundly moved and, you know, and educated and also I think uplifted. And it is necessary to say this, that it is a film about resolution to some extent. But it never yeah, not felt... a sweet, simple resolution. They're not. They're not going to dance happily off into the night because no. they both lost a child. But they've moved forward. They've unblocked something in themselves through this meeting. Uh, and it's about it's right. about dialogue between apparently opposing opposing views. And I think that's what I mean when I say it's not didactic. It's not a film which says you have to think this and that you have to have this opinion. Otherwise, we're not really interested in your response. Well, that's, I mean, it's uh, you're right to pick up on that because. Fran Kranz, the extraordinary writer-director, first-time writer-director, amazingly, um, he had in his original drafts much more about politics in there, much more about my character as a man who has channeled his grief into uh, activism, extreme activism, to, you know, maybe to the detriment of really addressing his grief and, and certainly his marriage. Um, and there were sections in which I just went on about stuff, uh, and, and they got shorter and shorter and shorter until finally I barely raise what I'm campaigning uh, against or for outside the rooms and my wife goes uh, what are you talking about that for it's not what we're here for uh, and you never know, really know where anyone stands it doesn't matter where anyone stands in many ways it's not a film about a shark you know it's, yeah. it's not a film yeah. about a shooting at all it could be anything and I know I don't want to be disrespectful to the parents of kids that we talk to and all the books we watch and documentaries but it's really that is a springboard into 
you know, what's universal about this is that any of us who are blocked by, uh, I mean, I sound like I'm trying to sell it, but I, I am trying to sell it, not just to your listeners, but I, I feel it's it's uh, it's important that, and I bet it's important people see the film, but but it's important that we make sure that people don't think it's a film about shooting or the politics mm-hmm. around shooting. It really could have been any event at all. In fact, it could be modern day politics, the way we hate, you know, I hate Brexiteers or the Republicans <laughs> hate Democrats and vice versa. It really, it's about how do you see each other as human, no matter that lots of the talking is about the incident. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you feel that it's, it's the best, if not one of the best things that you've done? Well, you know what? I'm the same actor uh, in things that utterly tank uh, and things that do well critically or commercially. I am, you know, I try and bring the same approach. It might have different styles. Sometimes it's more farcical or genre and stuff. Um, I think just occasionally I get to be, I get to apply whatever skills I have to something which is rich and three-dimensional and provocative and resonant. You know, I felt that way with Angels in America. You know, I felt that yeah. way uh, with this. I felt that way a bit with Scars, that, that piece that you showed when I came to Shetland. You know, uh, it, it's it's rare that writing is this good. So I don't know that I was... I'm no better in this than I am in, in anything. I'm no worse. I'm the same. It's just magnificent material. Um, I remember directing The Elephant Man when I was at university. And the guy who played uh, John Merrick was went off into the world of finance. I don't know if he acted before or since. And he had standing ovations and tears. It was utterly magnificent. So was Bradley Cooper on Broadway. So was David Bowie on Broadway. I think he won or got nominated for awards. It's one of those parts that if you don't completely blow it and come out like Charles Autry, people <laughs> will think you're an extraordinary actor. <laughs> and there are times in my life I've read something and thought, if I don't blow this, I will get credit that is not due to me. Um, I'm good enough, you know, uh, we're, all of us actors are, are good enough. Uh, if you put us on a fabulous wave and we don't buck against it, we'll go with it. This is a beautifully constructed, fabulously emotional journey. We were very, we, we grew to kind of love each other. We become very, very intimate with people because a lot of supposed rehearsal is really sharing stories about your life or about loss or about love or hope. Um, I accept Anne from this. So there's four of us in this. Everybody, I think everybody is magnificent, but because the writing's magnificent. Anne Dowd, when we've done publicity, I hope she never sees or listens to this. Uh, I, I love her. You know, I adore her. It's, it's such a horrible, lovey cliche, but we you know, we went through something together. You know, we weren't yeah. in the First World War in a trench, but we went through something together. So we saw each other properly, unstripped, as it were, um, or stripped. And, but and uh, when we did all the publicity, when we did these things, we did Zooms, yeah. or lots of publicity you do during Sundance, which is always strange because the film's not coming out anywhere. It wasn't <laughs> bought at the time, but you're still doing publicity everywhere. Um, we would talk about, like I'd be talking to you, the process of rehearsals or, you know, what felt truthful not. And she, when asked about playing Linda, she would allow Linda to talk through her. She'd go, well, Linda let me into her life. And then she's invariably, during a publicity interview, moved, like hit with waves of Linda's grief. You know, there's nothing pretentious about it. She apologised for it. She tries to stop. There was not one interview in which Anne wasn't deeply moved by uh, Linda's power for optimism or yeah. the pain she carries. And I just felt like such a ham. Like we all, I know that me and Reed and Martha go, we're just like minstrels. And there's Anne, an artist. You know, she really is uh, extraordinary like that. I mean, so, but yeah, but you, I, said, you know, I, I, I'm worried about overhyping the film, but I do think it's an amazing. It's a very, it's yeah. very unlike anything. I tell you, I felt the same about the OA. Uh, I know that you didn't necessarily, and some people didn't, but the people who love the OA. No, I like the OA. I, 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 yeah, yeah. I mean, but but I think I do think that this is on a slightly 
I mean, you know, you give 100%. It's more accessible. You give 100% in everything, but I did not expect Mass to be as powerful as it was. I had just hoped, because here's how it happened to me. I got a text from a friend of mine at the BFI who said, Jason Isaac's new film is just unbelievable. And I went, okay, great. Uh, And I looked up to see what it was called. And then I sent you a message saying, okay, I hear hear you've made a film that's unbelievable. Can you send it to me? And you went, oh, I don't know. I've got to check out whether this, that, and the other, and blah, blah, blah. Super secret. I think I sell secrets out now. Yeah, and I didn't know anything about it at all, other than that this guy who I really respect at the BFI had said, I've seen this film, and Jason is brilliant in it. And then I watched it knowing nothing about it. I knew nothing about it other than the That's title. The best I, way. Isn't that the best way to approach everything, always? Yeah, and it's the, one of the great privileges of film criticism that obviously actually isn't available to most viewers because most viewers yeah. can't afford to just randomly walk into any movie not knowing anything about it. Because well, it's also sp- a paradox. You know, the, the way to attract people to a film like this that isn't going to have posters on the side of every bus is because powerful you know cultural influencers like you will talk about it and tell people it's great uh, but, but your you know your many shows this blog or your you know show with Simon or all these things will be 10 seconds long if you just went this one go and see it's brilliant this one it's rubbish <laughs> so you don't you expand and you talk about the projects and in talking about them in me talking about them too we somehow you know slightly dilute them or, or remove the mystery and the the you know the excitement of a, of a narrative journey that when you don't know where you're going and it's just a paradox you, you have it it has been particularly it. strange because during lockdown the two the two films of yours that I've I mean, you've done a few but the, few, the two of yours that I've seen during lockdown this and before that skyfire ah, and I, I I'll say this again I thought Skyfire. I mean, I had not enjoyed myself so much if it, because I had had a you know like many months of because of what happened Misery. during lockdown. It's, it's a miserable time, yeah, yeah. and and also you know quite intense independent art films because all the you know the mainstream blockbusters had moved out of the way, which I love. That's all great, but the thing was okay. There's a disaster movie, and I love disaster movies anyway. I've always been a disaster movie fan. Did a you remember what they called movies. in China? Rescue movies. Rescue movies. Rescue movies. Rescue movies. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's that's a, that's a very positive twist. Anyway, so there it was. Jason versus the volcano, and even in the trailer, I think it's got the thing of you in the purple suit going. We're all going to be fine. That's <laughs> I just thought. I love like, that line. And Linda and I oh. sat in the living room with it on the big. You know, we've got a big telly in the living room, watching this. Just, I mean, laughing like dry and having a really good time because it was such utter nonsense. I, I love you for thinking that. and having, I mean, I had a very good time. I, I loved doing the nonsense as well. It was fabulously fun. What's interesting is every time it's come up on your show with Simon, he feels the need to go, yeah, but it's rubbish. You know, <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. How many of us go, well, I enjoyed it. Yeah, but it is bad. <laughs> if somehow, I don't know who's paying him to do that, but it's just very important to him to establish the, the bar. Um, it's not rubbish. It's a, it's a really good version exactly of exactly what it is. It's exactly yeah. what it's meant to be. Yeah, I've, t- I've, I've seen it twice, and uh, I have enjoyed it both times. And in fact, I sent it to my... To, to my my very good friend, I sent a, a, a you know a, a message saying you have to see this film. It's available now on this service, and he went, I don't think I've got that service. I went, it's fine. It's just you know do the thing. Exactly the same. Oh my god, what a lot of fun! You know, ninety okay. minutes. Lots of, of people have had a lot of fun, and God knows we had a lot of fun. It's interesting though that how many incredibly miserable films. Uh, people started making, I guess, before the pandemic came because yeah. things didn't seem that miserable in the world. So I, I'm on the board of. Um, the British Independent Film Awards, BIFA. Yeah. And, you know, we have to watch hundreds of things to whittle it down to the nominations. And I just, 
I wonder how many of those people, well, we'll see, uh, would have made films like that had they known the world was about to actually be in enforced misery in many ways. Yeah. And they, they just added to it. It <laughs> um, doesn't mean they'd have made light, light comedies, but you look at the crop of films this year, actually some of which were made during, you know, uh, post-pandemic starting, but they're pretty so miserable. Did, Mass was done during the pandemic, wasn't it? No, no, it was before. Oh, you did, you done no, it, it before. before? Okay. So, yeah, yeah. You, so you shot it, what, 2019? Let me ask, sorry, uh, so we come back to one sec, just because I don't have a memory to hold questions in my head. Yeah. Um, if there was a mass shooting the week that it came out, or the week before, or sometime around it, would you pull it? Well, that's a distributor. I mean, I, I, well, firstly, I'm not a distributor. I'm a critic. And my answer would mm. be no. But I, uh, you know, uh, I do a film review on the news channel, for example, and they are very sensitive about anything in a, in a film review reflecting anything tragic that has happened in the news. So we, we, we shoot the news channel film review during the week. But if something happens on the Thursday that looks like it would sit awkward, that it, it, right. it, does, it does get moved. I, I'm never involved in those decisions. I don't decisions. know why, since, since art is meant to hold the mirror up to nature. But, yeah, but, yeah, I know, but it's just, it, it, is, it is one of those things. I mean, I remember um, uh, having as a guest on uh, the show that I do with, with uh, Simon, one of the stars of a, of a horror movie um, that had happened just when the bus bombing happened in, in London. And it was the right. day of the bus bombing. And I remember the star of the film saying, it just doesn't seem appropriate to be talking about horror film at the moment. I mean, it is, it is, a, yes, yeah. it, it is a really strange and difficult thing. So I have, I have no idea what the answer to that question is. I'm glad. Well, when I'm it came up, we had a discussion. Fran Krantz, who wrote and directed it, it being his first film, has done something I'm not sure he'll continue to do, but it, it's a it's a beautiful thing he's done, which is open up the discussion with uh, us four actors uh, to do everything to do with the film. You know, post the title, distribution, all the discussions he's having professionally, he's sharing with us as if it's somehow a co-op project. I mean, it is financially, but, you know, it's his film. But, uh, um, and so one of the discussions that's, that's come up, I hope the distributors don't think I'm being indiscreet, is what would we do if there was a shooting incident that week? Uh, and... Uh, you know, I don't think the a. I don't think the film is about that. But you know, it was inspired initially. Fran pulled his car over to the side of the road. I think after the Sandy Hook shooting, and thought, not what would I do if my kid was shot, but how would I ever get over that? Which is what the film is about. You know, um, I don't know. I, I, I would hope they wouldn't pull it, particularly because there's shootings all the time. But anyway, I'm curious. I would hope the same thing. Um, but I, I have seen so many. I think so. I, I, I've seen so many times when things have been pulled for the strangest of reasons. I mean, like right. com, like completely random reasons. I mean, for example, recently there was a there was a royal death, and the film review show stopped. Right. Well, everything stopped. Yes. It was extraordinary, wasn't it? it I mean, wall to wall, yeah. BBC morning tonight. I I I listened to a couple of hours of. Uh, so you were being euphemistic there. Can we not say who died? Is it a spoiler? No, no, I'm just... It's, okay, it's right, just you know, I think so, everybody... so Prince Philip died, and, uh, you know, I was, I was actually on a long drive somewhere. So I was in the car for a couple of hours, and all right across the BBC, we, I, I heard his life story many, many times. Uh, and, you know, what an extraordinary support he was to the Queen, all of which was true. and was interesting to hear and, and moving, and he was a figurehead for the nation. Then I went uh, wherever I was going uh, for four or five hours, and I got back in the car to drive two hours home, 
And it was a kind of radio groundhog day. You know, they, they were still running the same information. There weren't any, you know, there, there weren't new biographies emerging. There weren't new people talking about it. It was as if everything was on a loop. Someone had left the station and left it playing a loop. And I thought, wow, across the board, all stations, all day, the same material. That, that seemed to be, uh, it seemed to me to be overkill and to misjudge uh, the both mood and curiosity of the nation. But I was, I wondered what the feedback would be. Uh, I think the feedback yeah. was quite negative, wasn't it? And I, all I know is that, and this is you know purely selfish response to it, that you know that I've made a couple of programs that didn't go out as a result of it happening. Sucks. And of course, it's that it's that thing about you know it's not all about you, but in the end, it is all about you. Um, I, you know, if people so particularly what the nation requires. I mean, you know, yes, we should be told things, and yes, he's an important figure, and people of all ages might not know that. But you know, there's a, uh, you have to be. A, it has to be respond in proportion to people's curiosity and interest as well. But I'd say again, you know. I'm glad that I'm not the person having to make those decisions yeah, yeah, because because my, because my own experience is that my decision making is not very good. I mean, you know, Linda always says to me, you know, what do you think? And I tell her and she goes, yeah, OK, that no. And then she tells me. Yes, no, I've, I've like, done the same. <laughs> the same thing has uh, happened in the last couple of days. There's something in the news, probably too controversial to talk about. And I, I found myself asking certain questions at home going, yeah, but in principle, my wife and everyone else and or my daughter's particularly going, that is completely not the question that needs to be asked here. Dad, you need to shut up. And I go, OK, fine. I'm glad this is not a public forum and it's just my dinner table. Uh, so that's right. <laughs> but I mean, I've felt the same thing over the last year. There's, there's numbers of films I've been in, other films. I do think Mass is really special. I do hope people get to see it when it comes out. It'll be crowded and noisy. I've been in some little films before I thought were terrific and uh, just didn't get seen just because you need a certain deep pocket. You know, there were, there were 500 reviews, all of which said, you know, five star. This thing will definitely be in the awards conversation or this man will get a writer, writer director, get an Oscar. They're all going to get Oscars. And, um, and then when I did some interviews, they went, it's nice to be talking about the Oscars. And I, I always think how sweet and naive that is that, you know, one is in the conversation for awards when somebody has deep pockets and spends a lot of money to put you in the awards conversation. It, it's not a meritocracy. Uh, I think, uh, like you do, that they're all utter nonsense, or rather they're not a reflection of uh, the power or, or skill. They're a reflection of somebody who runs the awards game well. You know, and it's great that sometimes that coincides with them being good films, and that's lovely, but it's not, uh, you know, it's not like a race. When Hussein Bolt wins, it's because he's the fastest. You can't do that with art. No one is the best. You know, you ask, is it the best acting I've done? No, it's one of the best scripts I've done for a long time. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So 
So what have you made during lockdown? Because I know that you, ha- you have done filming during this. And presumably yeah, I've been filming a lot. Well, first of all, let's just let's, let's pause for a second, ask a different question. How is it that when there's a disease sweeping the world and paralyzing, crippling and bringing the, you know, the, the wheels of industry to a halt in every country, when sometimes in countries there's absolute lockdown and the only thing they will allow to happen to leave the house are people who work in the health industry and the food industry and utilities, you know, nuclear power and water, that the film and television industry gets a pass as well. How is it that we somehow are deemed so essential? And when you raise it, people go, well, people do need things to watch. And you go, there are a billion hours of things to watch. My kids are watching Sex and the City. People are watching Breaking Bad. There's plenty of stuff to watch. There's plenty of films. We've been making them for a long time. Why did we get this this free pass? I don't know. Uh, I'm glad that we do. And I do. I've been working in lots of sets, and they're very safe environments. Uh, because, you know, everyone's tested all the time, and everyone's isolating, and there's strict protocols. But still, so I don't know why. But anyway, uh, yeah, I feel, I made a few films. Uh, I made this lovely film called Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris um, that Tony Fabian directed with uh, Leslie Manville, the lead. I just saw it uh, yesterday. It's incredibly sweet. Okay. It's very, very moving. Did you Leslie see it Manville. in a screening room? I saw it in ADR, and I saw you know. So I, yeah, yeah, fine. So yeah, so you so yeah. in a bit a place where it's where it's not like watching it on your television. You actually went somewhere. No, no, to no see. I saw it on a, on a screen, but I, I didn't. You know, oh, I, I've seen bits of it on my laptop. I've done lots of. You know, I'll show you this for people like this great radio. I've got one of these things here. Uh, so I've done lots of ADR in my house. <laughs> ADR meaning when you put this, the noise on after replace dialogue. Um, so I've seen lots of films that way, and I always go, mm, and you really need to get a flavour of it. Can you send me a link to the whole film, which is a breach of protocol, and I, I just blackmail people into doing it. So I've done that with a few films. Um, uh, what else have I made? God, I made a spy film just now with uh, Dermot Mulroney in, in America, in Augusta, Georgia, where, wow. uh, am- amazingly, uh, COVID just bypassed. They have none. Everybody, no one wears masks. Every, everyone is thronging. They never closed anything down. It's the most extraordinary you feel like you're in a, a bad disney movie i landed there and i went do, do, don't they have the news here was it the truman show or what um so i mean that film i made uh did I make it during lockdown nick uh, nick moran's film which unfortunately had to come out during lockdown the the uh, alan mcgee story um oh yes well i well, this is this was a particularly splendid thing because there i was watching the alan mcgee story and suddenly he walks into a you know a bar in la and he's met with by this absolutely coked up producer yeah, yeah. and you know wouldn't you know it, it's jason and suddenly the whole film kind of you know it goes off on this wild cocaine field i actually replaced someone in that film i shouldn't say who it's unprofessional but you've already Nick told me, me went, Listen, i need you to work you know, I need to do these three days of my film, and I'm, can you send it to me? He goes, it doesn't matter. I'm sending it to you. You can read it, but you have to do it. And I went, well, what? And I phoned him. I went, I'm, I'm really wrong for the part. And he went, shut up. You're doing it. And so I just went as outrageous. Can I just ask you, I because I know could. who it is. I know who it is that you replaced. Was any part of your, I'm not going to say, was any part of your performance influenced by the person that you replaced? I think it probably was. I mean, I wasn't trying, I'm not a very good mimic. You know, I can only do Ian McKellen's. Yeah. I'm a good mimic if the part requires me to be Ian McKellen. That's about it. Um, so. You should say for the record, no, it wasn't, yes. it wasn't Serene McKellen that you no, replaced. No, I wasn't replacing Serene. Uh, uh, I don't know, possibly. I mean, I, you know, when I'm anxious, uh, or always anyway, I, I want, I want to do something bold and different. And so I wanted a wig and a moustache and a funny voice and a bright coloured jacket. I was, you know, I wanted props and voices. If I could have had a parrot and a wooden leg, I would as well. Uh, it's basically what I did in Harry Potter. 
you know, I, was, I, I looked at the cast list and I went, oh my God, it's got everybody who's I've ever queued in the rain to watch on stage. And they're all brilliant. And I'm meant to be sinister and Alan's in it. Alan, who, you know, uh, uh, defined sinister for a generation. I need everything. And I got, I, the wig wasn't part of the original plan. I got wigs and capes and wands and, you know, I would have had a limp and a stutter if they'd let me. So, <laughs> you know, I'll go for anything I can. And sometimes they let you. Nick Moran, you know, he was so grateful that I did it, I think, would have let me do do anything with the part. And Nick so Moran I was did a, very much off the leash. Nick Moran did a very good job with the um, the screen version of uh, Telstar. Which, which I was his was, play as well. Yeah, which I thought was a yeah. re- really remarkably underrated film because I love the Joe Meek story anyway because it is, you know, it's you couldn't make this stuff up. But I thought, and it had yeah. a great, you know, some great performances in it. But I thought he did a really, really good job with that film. And I, I think he's an, ex- I mean, he's an extraordinary person. I don't know if you ever spent time with him. Um, the films that he's made, he's, fo- it's sheer force of personality that got them made on, that's raised any money, that's made the money do what it does. He took on a huge thing with Alan's story. Alan being alive, uh, yes. which is always a different thing making it. And uh, Irving Welsh's script and, and trying to tell an entire life on. What trust me was not enough money to do that, but he I, he's a he's a he's a brilliant person. Uh, uh, by which I mean, not only is he a, a, a real artist and uh, uh, and the kind of you know with the kind of P.T. Barnum style, you know, follow me, uh, we're all we're all jumping off the cliff. But also, he's got uh, it seems to me complete recall and an amazing brain, just an amazing facility to process. And which I've told him numbers of times, uh, I bring my own prejudice to the, to the party. Anyone who listens to him interviews, he's got this fabulous. Uh, Cockney patter, and so you talk to him, and you know I bring a, a, an ingrained snobbery that I must work against. That he talks like someone who shouldn't be anywhere near as utterly brilliant, and have you know have this polymath ability to remember and process everything in any area. There's no subject you could bring up in which he's not an expert. He's a, yeah. he's a remarkable person, and yeah. so I think I know for all that the film, of course, didn't make a huge splash because it came out during lockdown, and people did or didn't like it. He got the rights to all that music, and and he made this thing happen when. You know, uh, I I determined I was going to learn four chords on the guitar. I didn't quite get that happening during lockdown. <laughs> he got a giant film made uh, on 25p. So I have to ask you, you know, cinemas are now with looking at reopening in May the 17th, but I know that you are still very sceptical about everyone getting together yeah. in public spaces. Uh, well, it's not, uh, I'm sceptical. One of the, the only thing I've achieved during lockdown, you know, Nick made a film, many other people have learnt... Uh, Hungarian or built a lute out of you know matchsticks or whatever that is. You you are staggeringly productive. Uh, I presume it's just because uh, your family want you locked in a room and not talking to them all day. But like there's the numbers money. of things you do. Uh, <laughs> all I've done is make myself the most irritating lay epidemiologist in history. Uh, I listen to uh, I listen to this week in virology, which is a brilliant podcast, and and the the week the updates Daniel Griffith uh, uh, Griffin and uh, and this week in immunology. I read the New England Medical Journal. I read the Lancet. It, I read preprints and other things, and uh, and I knew not because I'm a genius, but because anybody taking any uh, paying any attention knew a very long time ago, i.e., a year ago, that there's wiping surfaces down and you know washing your hands. That was all complete nonsense. Finally, the the CDC in America, for instance, have admitted that nobody's getting it through touching anything. Maybe they're saying just to cover themselves, one in ten thousand person gets it from touching a surface. But even then, they don't have any proof that's ever happened. It's an airborne disease. We get it through breathing. Right. Uh, film sets are very very safe uh, at the moment. Uh, the, the certainly the big budget ones because they have HEPA thirteen filters 
every five yards. They know it's you get it through breathing, and so they are very, very careful to have adequate ventilation. Everybody has masks on covering their nose. They're brand new KN95s. They police it. You need to go outside to take your mask off to drink water or whatever. So I've flown a lot, for instance, in the last year. You know, the airlines are very keen to tell you how safe it is. And you get on a plane and they're kind of all about, are you wearing your mask, sir? Or oh, that's not the right mask, got a valve. And then they come around and they go, you having a pasture of the chicken? And you go, <laughs> I, I go I'm, not, I'm not eating, thanks. Oh, can we get the peanuts and drink? And I go, I'm, I'm not going to be taking my mask off, so you don't need to worry about coming to see me. Thanks so much. They go, really? Everyone else is. And I go, yes, I know. That's, that's, that's why. why I'm not taking my mask off. Um, so, you know, it, this is a disease. Six foot doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you're six foot or 60 foot away from someone. If you just imagine yourself in a room with someone smoking a cigar, is there a chance of you breathing in their cigar smoke? That's why it's much safer outdoors. It's much safer outdoors with a breeze. That's why outdoors is, they say, measurably more than 20 times safer than indoors. So, look, I love the cinema. I hope that everyone goes back. I would go if everybody had to show. Uh, you know, this breach of our personal civil rights that were uh, a stamp showing you'd been vaccinated twice and had two weeks past the second vaccination. Yeah. But the fact is, you can go into a cinema and you have to wear a mask except when you're eating and drinking. What? What do you mean except when you're eating and drinking? What's that got to do with anything? They haven't, if the cinemas came out and said what some of the public schools in America have done, which is we have replaced all of our air filtration system with HEPA-13 filters, that would be something. You know, if they if they showed us they'd thought about nothing other than airflow, which the airlines are keen to do, even though they haven't got it perfect, and they have HEPA filters. So the cinemas are all about we wipe everything down. All your sweeties are in little cellophane packages and stuff. You know, I wish them nothing but luck because I love the cinema. I think it's a really important thing that we get told stories in groups en masse. It's important. That's how we connect as human beings. Um, I won't be going until I know that everyone's vaccinated or I've had two vac- uh, vaccinations. Uh, I, I, I don't understand why this, the government... I do understand. It's economic, of course, why they're opening gyms. I don't understand why they're opening indoors in restaurants until we've all but eradicated the disease. It's because people will starve and businesses will go bust. But uh, it doesn't seem safe to me. So I've heard you talk about cinema going, I feel safe. Feeling safe and being safe are not necessarily the same thing. You feel safe maybe if you're fully scientifically, you know, genned up, but uh, I don't think it's safe. I I mean, well, look, my own experience of it is, I mean, I've now, I've had my first jab. I presume you've had your first as well. Which one did you get? What flavour? AstraZeneca. Yeah, me too. Did you have any anxiety about the AstraZeneca thing? I had none whatsoever. And now, no, exactly. The, you know, there's, there's the odd clot. I mean, it's one in half a million for young women, but I do have a young girls have teenage girls um and so you know there's some anxiety on that but it's you know numerically you it's it's less dangerous than getting in a car statistically i mean i have seen people on the news talking about their anxieties about the vaccine whilst smoking and i yes exactly i mean a lot of what's happened in the last year you know is a reminder to us that human beings don't manage risk very well we we you know depending on what the media is doing and what our friends and our social media social media is doing uh we assess relative risk uh, quite poorly and no matter how scientifically you approach it there are things that are instinctive uh when you find out that six people have had rare brain blood clots and uh, a couple of whom have died out of three million jabs you know, one ought to feel very, very safe statistically. And, and it's not if it happened to you, it would be utterly monstrous and tragic, but it's much safer than many other yeah. things that we do. It's also kind of interesting that, in, you know, in America, for example, um, you know, there's this thing about, oh, OK, there are, there, there are these worries, then let's halt it. And then every time there's a shooting, it's like, oh, no, but we, we can't possibly halt, 
you know. Uh, well, see, that's, you see, that's the thing in America, you know, and one of the things we looked at when I was, was researching mass, I looked at all, uh, just not for fun, but because it was fascinating, uh, I went deep into the weeds with uh, statistics on how many people do use a gun to defend themselves at home, for instance, and, and what the gun deaths are in America, which are something like, you know, that they're 17 times per person uh, what we have here, or maybe higher, I can't remember. Um, but most of the, the, the mass shootings are distraction. When it comes to why guns should be banned or should be more strictly controlled, they're really numerically insignificant. The most important reason, statistically, why people shouldn't have access to guns in America is suicide. So when you have suicidal uh, ideations, I think that's the word, uh, in Britain uh, or most countries in the world, uh, most people then do not go on to kill themselves because either it changes over time as they try and plan how or because it's particularly difficult to do or because it involves going up to the top of a building and thinking about jumping off. And it's, you know, there are many s- stages between thinking I want to kill myself and dying. But if you've got access to a gun, it's instant. And uh, the American Psychiatric Association, for instance, are very clear that if there weren't guns, there'd be massively less suicide. Well over 50% of people who die by gun die by suicide. The chance of you dying in a school shooting or a mass shooting is minute, really. Like you say, smoking, driving, all those things are much, much riskier. Um, They're just splashier, you know. And the chance of you successfully defending yourself in your home with a gun is, is, you know, you're, you're better off throwing knitting needles at someone and hoping one goes through the, your assailant's eye. Yeah, it yeah, just yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah. I listen to lots of psychology podcasts. I'm interested yeah. in it, I'm an act, maybe because I'm an actor. Uh, um, and there was one recently on on this, on risk and how we assess risk. Uh, and it just reminded me, when I, whenever I hear anybody in conversation go, well, I'm prepared, it's a risk I'm prepared to run, you know. Uh, and that's like going to a cinema or whatever it is. And jumping out of a plane. I jumped out of a plane for my 50th birthday and I, it was a risk I was prepared to run. I looked at the statistics. And what that really means, of course... You know, when I, when I, if you go and play roulette, well, I'm prepared to lose the money. You know, it may win, it may not, it improves the money. When you go, I'm prepared to jump out of a plane because it's a one in 300,000 chance, a one in 3 million chance of me splattering and dying <laughs> at the bottom. You know, if you splattered, but you live and you're in a bed, you wouldn't go, well, fair enough. You know, I was prepared to rather you go, I bloody wish I hadn't done that. You know, and the soldiers that I've met in, in the various PTSD things I've been privileged enough to do, uh, you know, they went to war and they knew it was a risk that they get shot or lose their eyes or, you know, or, or uh, you know, lose limbs. Those people who have tragically lost limbs, in retrospect, it's not a dice they would have rolled. You know, so when people go, I'm prepared to risk COVID in this situation. I think it's reasonably safe. Those people I know who've had COVID, and I know quite a few, and I yes, know some do, people yeah. who are really badly crippled with long COVID, yeah. friends who didn't really have it badly, uh, and lots of young people who don't have any symptoms are then getting long COVID. They don't, in retrospect, go, well, you know, fair enough. I, I ran the risk. I'm happy with the result. You're not happy with the result. Most of the time, you say, what you mean is, it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's never going to happen to me. You don't mean, eh, it's a th-, you know, because the downside is so down. Uh, so the downside for me... Potential downside is big enough that I won't be going to the cinema or the theatre, which I find tragic. I'm glad that other people will. The industries need to work. Uh, I hope that soon it won't be a question because so many of us will have had the vaccination that will be uh, all but eradicated. The last thing I'm going to say on this subject was um, uh, on the subject of having the AstraZeneca vaccine. 
and uh, people have talked about you know side effects and everything and well I mean side effects side effects and we need to vaccine um, but I did the thing about you know Linda and I both had them together and um, and then and she said you know he said how yeah he's good you know then she said you know how are you feeling I said oh I'm, you know I'm fine and then I went on the internet and it's a possible side effects you know tiredness I thought oh I'm feeling a bit tired you know a bit, yeah, a bit, a bit, bit. Of, a bit, a bit of a sore throat oh got a bit of a sore throat <laughs> you know fever I go, by the time I'd finished like I was hospitalizable and that is the thing yes. with me I see I am the world's worst never tell me the possible symptoms of something because I will develop no, Dr. all Google of them. Is, a, is a horrendous <laughs> is a horrendous thing I'll tell you what's happening a lot in the world uh, at the moment I, it's not scientific it's anecdotal one should never extrapolate from one's own social life but I've come across numbers of my friends whose children have been diagnosed ADD or ADHD mm. who have then decided that symptoms you know that they have exhibited all the symptoms all their life and I've uh, lots of adults in my social circle at least have started to take ADD or ADHD medicine and I went straight to the internet and saw the potential <laughs> list of horrendous side effects everything from bubonic plague to you know your testicles dropping off and your hair you know turning curly or whatever and uh and, and, and numbers of people said, you know, there's no, and there's no side effects from these drugs, and they're out of your system within 24 hours. So if you don't like it, you just stop. And I'm thinking, you obviously don't go to Dr. Google like I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder, my brother's a psychiatrist, and I asked him yesterday if, he's, if he is seeing a spread of more and more adults in this country um, being diagnosed with and, and medicated for ADD. And he went, yeah, it's a, of course. It's spreading, like, and in America too. Uh, the pharmaceutical companies have successfully medicated an entire generation of children, and they're now uh, spreading to adults. And they do work to some extent to help you focus more, but there are potential down, downsides. And I, I just keep reading the side effects. Because uh, I don't know if you have you come across that in your social life. I, I, I haven't, but then my social circle is almost. You know, I mean, I'm literally I'm here in the New Forest, and there's you know me right, and Lind, right. and uh, and uh, and you know we walk okay. up the track, um, and then we come back, and and then I sit in my room talking to people like you on Zoom. And so, well, I, I mean, that's, I've been I amazed. Got just... a, I haven't got a social circle, Jason. Well, right. <laughs> but this talk of drugs and vaccines and stuff means that that's part of what happens in social interactions, such as this. Sure. A lot of mine is on Zoom, too. Uh, so I've been amazed to find out how many people I know, uh, and again, I don't know if I can extrapolate to the whole world from my tiny bubble, but how many people I know take handfuls of antidepressants all the time and have done for years. I, I didn't know how medicated society is. I, I'd read about it, but I didn't realise it was happening all around me too. I, I am more and more aware of the fact that I tend to wander through the world blithely unaware of everything that's going on around me. Um, I have mm. one of my biggest problems is I'm terrible. I am very bad. I mean, it's funny you said earlier on you read the room. Well, I would get yeah. Linda in here now and say, Jason just said that I read the room and then you wouldn't be able to record anything for the next 10 minutes while she laughed. <laughs> because yeah. because the whole thing with with us is that, is that I don't read the room. I don't see, I miss things. I, I pe- You yeah. know, I have conversations with people and Thank I start God to- Thank God you don't do a job where you're meant to be uh, sensitive to what people are thinking and yeah, feeling. Yeah, and I'm just not. And also the other thing is, <laughs> never tell me anything that, I, that I'm not supposed to know because I can never remember what I'm supposed to know and what I'm not supposed right, right. to know. And so it's it's like, you know, and the, so there's this whole kind of coded thing going on that if we're ever talking, I mean, if we're ever back in a social circumstance, that I'll be I'll be saying something and then Linda will just shoot me a glance. It's like, okay, stop talking. And I don't well, know why. Well, I do worry about it because I know you, uh, not anywhere near as much socially <laughs> as I'd like to, partly because you're a long way away. Uh, every time I say I've talked to you and Emma goes, why don't we have the round for dinner? And I go... Because we don't have anyone round for dinner, we haven't for decades. Uh, but anyway, but I know you, and I do tell you things when we're off camera. Yeah, no, because, I, can, I, you know, I can, I can tell you if it's come, to, if it's come to me from you, I know that I can't repeat it. Because there's lots of, you know, I find it tricky sometimes. 
there's such good stories that, you know, the, the film world, like I said, you know, we've got very, very intimate, the, the cast on mass. Well, in some ways, you know, on many, many jobs, you see behind the curtain on people, you, you know, in ways you could sit next to someone in an office for 20 years and not know them. You get to know people quickly because you're way on location, because the situations of high stress, because uh, because there's a monstrous hierarchy in place. And I do see behavior all the time, which I'm desperate to tell my friends, and I wouldn't mind telling the world, but that can only happen when I'm never going to work again uh, because I have enough money to protect me from, you know, the forces of evil. Uh, and so it's not that I lie. I try not to. When people say, what were the cast like? It was all delightful. Everyone's lovely. It was fabulous. I try to give coded clues to the public so that they can tell the difference between when I'm telling the truth and when I'm uh, just trying to be diplomatic. But I do tell you lots of things that I think it's fun for you to know. And every single time, if there's a... <laughs> There's a bed, it sits on this hovercraft bed of terror that you'll forget that you're not meant to say that in your radio show and, and there'll be hitmen coming around to my house in Balaclava. Yeah. Well, Jason, on that note, um, let's bring this to a close. Um, look, it's been a real pleasure. I, I, I'd like you to come back on when Mass opens so we can talk about oh, it more God, when it I opens because so. I do want to fly yeah. the flag for it. I actually don't think critics make any difference to what people go and see, but I want the most number of people to know you're about wrong. It's the films film. like Mass that, that it's when you talk about it, films like us uh, only get an audience when you and or people like you although there's nobody like you uh, uh, talk about it because they're just not going to be able to afford uh, posters everywhere trumpeting their reviews or, or adverts on the radio so it is it is on your shoulders I'm afraid well it's a, it's a brilliant film like I said come back on the show and then we can talk about it so that it's fresh in people's minds um, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast all the usual stuff remember to subscribe tell your friends you can go to our Patreon page where you can see video extra stuff in the meantime everybody stay safe Keep watching this, guys, and I will speak to you next week. Jason Isaacs, thank you very much. Wait, and you'll see them in the cinemas because you're going, right? Yeah, I'm going to go to the. I'm going to go to the cinema. I'm I'm very particular picky about which cinema I'm going to, but I am going to go to the cinema. Yeah, right. Oh, well, good luck, everyone who goes to the cinema. Please do go to the cinemas. You won't see me there, but God knows they need an audience. <laughs> thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.